Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Independent Animation, a podcast series brought to you by Squiggly Online Animation Magazine that highlights the work and process of indie creators in the vein of the Squiggly book, Independent Animation, Developing, Producing, and Distributing Your Animated Films. I'm Ben Mitchell, Editor-in-Chief here at Squiggly, very excited to bring you all a chat between our site contributor Mel Sionko and two incredible creative forces, Tracy Butler and Fable Siegel. Missouri-based Tracy Butler studied biology in college before embracing her true path in the visual arts and went on to work for a small game development studio as an illustrator and concept artist, her roles eventually spanning 3D character artist, animation, and art directing. It was her comic Lackadaisy, inspired by the history surrounding the century-old home she'd recently moved into, as well as her appreciation for cats, that garnered her international attention in the mid-to-late noughties. A story of bootlegging jazz cats that would ultimately get itself an Eisner Award in 2011, and more recently, a phenomenally successful animated adaptation. Which is where Fable Siegel comes in, an incredible artist whose body of work includes animation for Titmouse, Starburns, Hasbin Hotel, Game Grumps, as well as storyboarding for shows including F is for Family, Ben 10, Adam Ruins Everything, Reanimated History, and Wacky Races. When the pair joined forces along with Iron Circus Comics to raise funds for the animated short back in 2020, they massively exceeded their initial Kickstarter goal of 85 grand, eventually raising over 330, which has ultimately allowed them to realize the dream of many an indie artist and filmmaker and create a 27-minute film on their own terms and true to their vision. So, is it any good? Well, the audience response speaks for itself. People are lapping this film up. Yeah, cat fun. Upon its release, Lackadaisy became an online phenomenon with over three and a half million views in its first week and over seven million at the time of this podcast going out less than a month later. And it's not hard to see why. It's an incredibly slick affair, boasting an enormous roster of fantastic artistic talent, a solid cast, engaging music by Sepia Tonic. And the film has also caught the attention of prominent figures such as indie legend Ralph Bakshi, illustrator Tyson Hesse, and director Lily Wachowski. And it's just an incredible example of what can come from loving what you do, earnest audience engagement, building up a fandom organically, and ultimately being able to deliver something that they clearly love, which is just a brilliant thing to see. And its success is sure to grow from here, especially considering the clear appetite audiences have for indie-led animated stories. With similar endeavors earning themselves episodic TV series, multimedia spin-offs, merch. In the meantime, in the wake of the film's rapturous response... Let's hear from Tracy Butler and Fable Siegel talking to Mel Sionko. If I have to start with something, it's 6.3 million views. Did you expect that reach to happen? No, I think we were, when we uh, premiered, like kind of leading up to that, I think we were giving ourselves this pep talk, like, you know, no matter what happens, um, we did, we tried our hardest and like all we can do is know we did our best. And even if this, if this, like thing comes out and then limps to maybe a million views after six months or eight months, that'd mm. be great, you know, but, um, you know, we just have to be satisfied that, that we did the best we could do. And, but yeah, we, we didn't really didn't expect that kind of, um, response or turnout. Uh, we were pretty blown away that after about a day we had a million views. So uh, when we were thinking it was going to be, you know, kind of a, a march toward that for months and we'd be scrambling to try to drive traffic to the, to the, uh, you know, YouTube page and things like that. Like, you know, watch our short, watch our pilot. But, um, 
but yeah, no, we've been and said bowled over by by the reaction. So yeah, <laughs> it's been exciting. No, that's that's amazing. And how was actually okay? So from that, let's start at the beginning. How was the process, the three year long process of getting the web comic turned into the pilot that became? Uh, so yeah, we, we did a Kickstarter in 2020 to fund the, the making of the pilot. Um, we didn't know, uh, that it would end up taking us three years to do because we, of course, we're not planning for COVID to happen, like right at that <laughs> moment. Um, just if the we, day if we, we were, I, I'd be a rather <laughs> concerned, like, yeah, well, we didn't, we didn't know holding back information from the US any precognitive ability, yeah. but, um, yeah, the day we launched the yeah. Kickstarter was the day that, uh, the United States went into full lockdown and the yeah. stock market crashed really hard. Uh, so we were like, uh, should we maybe delay or, uh, and maybe like see how things are in like two weeks or, and, uh, Fable was like, no, we got to just do it now or, or never. Um, Fable made the right call. I think on, on that, we kind of had a meeting. I was like, like, we could be going 80 miles per hour into a brick wall. And I'm like, all gas, no bricks. <laughs> yeah. So, so we just went ahead with it. And I think maybe people just needed, um, something to look forward to or something to distract, uh, mm-hmm. amidst all of that bad news. And, uh, the, the Kickstarter did great and we funded, we had originally um, set out to do something like an 11 to 15 minute pilot, but we so overfunded uh, that we got more ambitious with, with the pilot and we were like, you know what, we can do more than that. And we did. <laughs> and uh, But the, the complications of doing it during the pandemic and things like that definitely slowed us down a bit, uh, we felt. So, you know, we're hoping to in the future, if we get to make more, go faster. But um, uh but yeah, over over the course of that time, we had to kind of uh, we had to write a script. Obviously, we had to do our storyboards. We had to redesign the characters from the comic and make them, you know, animatable. Um, uh, so there was a lot of work to be done. Um, and then, of course, all of the rough animation and and the cleanup that that really takes the bulk of the time. We had to audition voice actors and and find people who kind of matched, you know, what what I heard in my head, and then kind of I had to communicate that to fable and fable was on board pretty much i think fable kind of understood the characters uh you know fable's the director on the on the pilot um and uh so we kind of had to be on the same page in that regard and so we listened to a whole, whole lot of audition tapes and spent three um, years attached to tracy's hip just so that i could absorb <laughs> yeah but fa- also, well, it's just good company so well yeah but also you just like read and understood the comic and understood the characters um you know better than probably the average person would have um by a lot so uh it wasn't hard i think fable just kind of you know grokked it and and we came from kind of a similar place similar background of enjoying you know xerox era disney animation and don bluth films and and kind of grew up in that like era of deviant art you know yeah so uh so we yeah i think kind of came from a similar place in that regard and that, that worked out really well because uh we had a similar creative vision so um yeah i think that helped us kind of like both forge ahead with the, the same ideas in mind and and be on the same page and um yeah so that that was uh the past three years was was tied up by that <laughs> 
And Tracy, for you specifically, how mm. did you feel to see the world that you have crafted for 17 years? Because you started this webcam in 2006. That's why yeah. <laughs> I feel old now, say 2006. I, um, I feel old. <laughs> it's been, I've been living in the 20s in my head for longer than the 20s happened. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's surreal. I still haven't quite, I think, wrapped my head around it. Like everything's just been so uh, ever since the launch and, and us being kind of taken by surprise by how well it, it did, uh, it's just been all uh, such an influx of, of um, communication and, and people wanting our attention and, um, you know, interest coming from a lot of different places in, you know, how do we make more of this and how do we merchandise this? And and it's all just been so um, uh, uh, da dazzling in a way that I, I almost haven't had time to sit down and just like go like, uh, I, you know, I got to make my childhood dream here. Like I got to make an animation, an animated film, but not only that, it's like my own characters and idea. And that's just like, yeah, I, I, I'm, I haven't even processed that cannot compute. I guess it's, it's amazing. And, uh, at some point I'll just like probably sit down and have a cry about it, <laughs> but I haven't had time yet. So, you know, in a good way, but, um, during yeah. production, did, did your perception of the world that you crafted like change? Did your did your view on like the characters, the settings, or the story, or how the story can develop change um, because of it? I think um, it didn't really change. I think it just sort of um, grew extra dimensions because when you're working, you know, in, in comics, it's very visual, visual and verbal, of course, and um, you you kind of like have the sense of what the characters' voices are in your head, or the kind of music and, and ambiance that surrounds them in terms of sound and um, and the way they move and things like that. But then you get to actually. Uh, like make that manifest when you're doing a film and so and you're bringing other artists on board who, who bring their input and their knowledge and insight and um their creative vision to it and you just sort of end up with something that feels even more whole than it was before uh when i was working you know it's, it's a very isolating process to be just you know buried in comic work because you're doing a lot of writing and you're doing a lot of drawing and and for every drawing you do you're doing a bunch of rendering and lighting and, and coloring and um you know page layouts and things like that and, and you just kind of get real absorbed in it and you kind of lose track of the outer world but then you know suddenly i have all these other artists kind of piled in around me also you know focused in on it and um that can't i mean you just can't help but be influenced by them as well um and so, yeah, I think it's just become more, um, more complete in a way uh, in in my own head because it exists as a animated film now. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So in, in that way, yeah, it has has changed my my perception of the of the work and the characters. But um, not in that I've like lost anything that I had before, but in that it's just kind of you know grown extra limbs. I think. <laughs> Now, Fable, I actually, this is something that I actually wanted to ask you from the very beginning when we booked this, because I saw the pilot, I think, like five times ago. <laughs> and every time I see it, new things keep popping out of the screen, both visually and while you're listening to it. There's an extra emphasis given not only to the style of the animation, but also that you can see, like, for example, I, I, I am 100% betting that this was intentional, the fact that you can see like the rough sketches on top of like the characters overlays mm -hmm. and there's an extra emphasis again on the sound design why were these elements highlighted so much uh in the case of the the uh the sketch lines being present like the what would be considered construction lines 
um I wanted to emphasize that they were drawings because part of like what makes traditional like so compelling to me is the fact that they are hand drawn. So rather than trying to like clean everything up and gloss it up and and make it like super, you know, super flat, super clean, that is what we can do by default nowadays in animation. It used to take a lot more effort to get that like look. Um, so back in the day, like Xerox was considered like the cheap look. But um, what I always found it personally appealing when I would watch those films as a kid was that you could see how the characters were built by simply looking at them. And so um, those films were just like, the animators were just like flexing super hard. Like you could see like their understanding of volumes and, and like acting and, and their sense of anatomy was like so much stronger when you understood that this was a drawing and you're not trying to actually uh, hide the fact that it's a drawing from the audience any more than if we watch the Muppet show that we're like, well, that's not really puppets. It's like, no, they're obviously puppets, but that's part of the charm. That's part of the performance. So I think it's important uh, as we explore where animation can go moving forward, we start thinking about um, traditional animation, not just in terms of, you know, whether or not something is hand drawn, um, but, but how we're going to emphasize that fact. Uh, to bring it away from other mediums uh, that are used animation, like uh, CG and rigged animation and stop motion, which they themselves are starting to explore like the um, like the limits of what they can present. Like you're seeing in CG animation, they're playing around with frame rates way more, which is a feature of stop motion and uh, traditional animation. In traditional animation, like we're trying to bring dirt back into the product. Uh, there was a, um, a cartoon called... Uh, was it called Megalobox, which deliberately uh, messed around with like a more kind of a, a lo-fi crunchy look in order to get it to feel more like older anime. Um, and with stop motion, uh, you can see things like Fantastic Mr. Fox, where they they're like, let's not erase like the thumbprints, like let's make it obvious that like, yes, there is stop motion. You can see thumbprints on on where it's there. Like you can see that the the fur and the cloth is rustling because it adds a lot more liveliness to the character and you don't need to hide the fact that these things aren't real we can nowadays make things look real that's not interesting anymore so how do you present your your story in a way that like takes advantage of its medium and some of that is by going back to uh the you know looking back in animation history and saying well, what actually made that work? You know, it's not just like, oh, that's a cool drawing or the fact that it's even animated. It's like the approach to its presentation, like adds so much to it. And you see a lot of interest that, uh, in that kind of thing uh, coming to the fore with um, uh, entertainment that explores analog as a, uh, a way of like kind of uh, layering on a look to things where the, uh, the medium by which it's created is part of the storytelling presentation. And by having the sketch lines be there and be so like explicitly present, it reminds you it's a drawing and that that makes it all that more impressive. It's like you're not you you're never like like the intention is never to take you out. I'm sure some people might be taken out by that, but so many more people I've seen have been like drawn in. It's like the reminder that this is done by hand, that people like had to craft every single frame um, is part of what makes it so engaging. And that I trust the audience to, you know, understand that and to appreciate it on some level rather than saying like, oh, well, they can't handle that and smoothing down all the rough edges uh, to make it more palatable for a general audience. 
But I say, instead of worrying about a general audience, what about the animation? What about the audience for cartoons like this? Like, instead, can we find those people, present what we have to them, and then have them go like, hey, I love that. I want more of that and not be so compromising. So Is that yeah. also the reasoning why of the sound design? Yes, the, the sound design we were was trying to be very careful about uh, the balance between diegetic and non-diegetic sound. Part of that was uh, just um, a, a practical reason. You know, you only have so much time to work on the the sound and we have to like deliver this at some point to everybody. And, uh, you know, three years in pandemic or no, you know, people's patience is going to get a bit tried. So we wanted to make sure that we um, if we could present this like about three years on the dot from when the Kickstarter went off, that that might do well. But the other reason for uh, creating this divide between uh, the sound that exists in real life as opposed to the sound that follows a character like it's in their head is to always like have a toehold in reality and make it very, very obvious when we're breaking from reality, because you have these characters that are get sucked into their own heads, either they kind of like generate chaos around them, like in Rocky's case, or in the case of Mitzi, like she's very like, like pulled into her own nostalgia and like how that blinds her to things as well as like colors her view of the past and the potential future. So if you don't establish what's real versus not, and you play around with like how you transition between those spaces, then um, all of that, the anchoring that you did with like this more realistic environment, the grittier look, the darker, the darker tones kind of falls flat. So you want also, in addition to that, you want to believe that the audience doesn't need to have their hands held in order to feel certain things. They don't need musical cues to go, oh, I'm supposed to be scared right now. Oh, it sure is like lonely in here. Like emptiness is a feeling I want people to feel. Awkwardness is a feeling I want them to feel. The sudden shock of like yeah. the train showing up to wake you up after just having been like, like, uh, um soliloquy to like of the, the like rocky's monologue and then him just like nattering on and on to his buddies until like he suddenly like stopped by a loud noise where even he has to react the way everybody else does as a reminder of danger is present and uh even this guy who is like you know cat jim carrey basically is himself human ultimately um so you want those reminders that like the real world is there and it's dangerous because you don't want to have this, you know, yet another show that presents like weaponry, uh, especially nowadays, that doesn't take that very seriously as like an actual threat. Um, even though, like, you know, this being a pilot, we can't like off Rocky. So just they, that's not realistic. But we couldn't kill the main characters in the pilot, sadly. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure somebody would have appreciated Rocky taking one. Yeah, team, after but, that uh, poem, probably. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, uh, you know. Trust that uh, we did talk about it. <laughs> we talked about like who was going to get hurt. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. Uh, also about that, actually, like, how do you actually manage to fit all the elements from the web comics where you would see like the, the in-depth research that Tracy did into the era, the prohibition era, into the guns, into the settings, and also research into how like cats behave because during the show you can also see them like behaving like cats because when you for example in the train scene like their tails just pop up or there's certain mm -hmm. scenes in which they react like cats so how do you make all that not only fit together 
but also be presented to an audience that may not be used to the world of Cadacey. Well, I think in the case of cats, unlike, like similar to dogs, uh, if you're going to ask someone to name body language that they would like understand inherently, like cat body language is more broadly understood than, say, hamster body language, you know? Um, and a lot of people have enough familiarity with cats that they would recognize things like cat oh, the memes. Got puppy. Cat, cat memes. memes are like the universal yeah. language of the internet, right? So yes. everybody, everybody, I think, even if they don't have cats themselves, are familiar with cat videos and mm. and like the things that get around on online, um, you know, TikTok mm. and things like that. So it wasn't hard to even, uh, you know, we had to explain a little bit to some artists who hadn't had cats before how cat tails actually work and how you know versatile they actually are. Mm -hmm. um, they maybe were thinking of them more like dog tails and they are anatomically different so um but in general i think yeah poofy tail people pretty much understand what that means and mm -hmm. um and little cat chirs and chirps and, and hisses mm -hmm. and things um which a, a lot of that was like the sound design pushed for that we were kind <laughs> of trying to lean away a little bit from over catifying them because we didn't want it to distract from the fact that fundamentally this is a story about people um it's it's very visually playful way to do it to present them as felines but um and a little bit punny and, and things like that and, and we can get away with a lot more facial expression and the tails append something additional to them that allows them to express even more in the, the large ears as well yeah it's um, kind of like the visual representation of a thought bubble uh, right. without having to stop and be like oh here's my internal monologue it's right like, like, you don't need to do that when they have like all this extra like or, imagining mordecai yeah. without like the tail and ears he'd come off totally different totally right. different yeah and at the same time we're very like hyper cognizant of the danger of getting uh, of being cloying about it and leaning too hard into like oh they're kitty cats and they they you know yeah. enjoy catnip and and lap up their milk and things we don't we don't want to go there because they need to be relatable no. as humans too but there are places like especially with their tails and, and they're just like unspoken body language that we can really get away with it so we did mm -hmm. um but uh yeah and then in terms of like the historical stuff uh i i did a lot of basically what was consulting, I guess, on, on just like trying to explain, you know, <laughs> uh, some of the 1920s uh, clothing and weapons and cars the and cars things. Cars can and, then, and can't do. And then we had our, yeah, our, our yeah. 3D artist, uh, you know, and, and prop maker Newt went off and did uh, research and he just did a fantastic job. He reached out to uh, either the car manufacturers who had like, who have uh, GM has like this this uh, heritage society and they have all of the records of their old like Cadillac cars and the, mm -hmm. one of the vehicles was based on a Cadillac 3, 314A um, from from that era. And uh, so they, they gave us like, you know, references and schematics and, and blueprints mm -hmm. for, for the vehicle design and everything. And they just like provided us with that, uh, you know, just at our request. It was great. So we did a research and um, uh, we, we went and found, um, you know, specific uh, quarry and construction equipment from that time and, and researched that pretty heavily to make sure we had the right right sort of like thing that matched the era. Um, How powerful dynamite was in that time. Yeah. Like a single stick of dynamite, what could it actually a lot do? Of, yeah, a lot yeah. of the time you'll, you'll come up yeah. with an idea. So Fable and I were writing the script and we'd, we'd come up with ideas, but then we would have to check and make sure like some things I just, I know because I've been working on the comic for so long and uh, mm -hmm. I've kind of like been mentally living in that space for a long time and, and researching it myself. But other times, like very specific things will come up, like what specific construction equipment would there be? What would the buildings be made of and things like that? And, um, and so uh, shovel, we have to we go just like, how, how would he drive the power shovel? And that yeah. led to like a whole discussion. Yeah. The power shovel itself was even an idea that was generated by um, Vis visual development. 
visual development. Um, uh, one of our folks, uh, Frog, who is cre credited on visual development and also backgrounds, did a bit of uh, concept art that included uh, the shovels in the background. We were like, looked at it, and it was like our eyes went big, like Rockies, basically. We were like, oh, we can't not use that. Yeah. Like, we, we gotta use, you can't just put shovels back there and then not like have something happen with an You can't have big machinery and yeah. Rocky inter intermingling yeah, with Rocky it and not have something happen. So, like, yeah, so yeah. that that actually did end up impacting the way the yeah. script was written. But um mm -hmm. uh but yeah, like kind of you just run into situations where it's like, okay, we want this to happen, but is that possible? Like is that a total anachronism? Can we like fit that in and, and how do we work it in in such a way that it's like, you know, pretty on on par with the the uh, the actual per time period that this takes place in, and so we yeah we did did a lot of work to uh, to do that. We had to look up a lot of like um, you know throw switches and things and electrical equipment. I had all these photos of this. Uh, it's called Missouri Mines. It's a now um, defunct um, mining operation in uh, Farmington, Missouri, uh, and it's a historical site, and you can go and tour it. Um, and I just went there and took a ton of photos, and we ended up using a bunch of those as as reference for the the climax climactic area where the uh, the pilot takes place and uh so yeah it's just you know kind of just pull information from from everywhere you can and um work with that so that's how we stylize the the time period um musically we did a lot of the same sort of thing looking up um you know references of actual music from the era and kind of picking out like what things do we want and how do we want to incorporate a more modern sound as well and, and get that kind of elect that very catchy electro swing beat um you integrated really excited when sepia tongue was like you know they showed their us their yeah. pass on it and like there was the dubstep drop and i was like oh man i'm excited about that <laughs> but we we actually did that. yeah well we actually did go back to them though and ask yeah. for the inclusion of more analog noise because what mm -hmm. they had originally given us was very digital sounding and so they they incorporated um they have some siren noises and things like that we're like can we just like change that to something actually more period appropriate so it's like analog sounding sirens instead of like you know so uh yeah we you know just wherever we could, we, we kind of tried to throw back yeah. to a uh, different time and place. Mm -hmm. You put so much effort into this production. And something that I also, as well as all the people who watched the, the pilot notice, is the ending message, which stuck with me a lot, which was handmade by artists in their homes across the world, which I am guessing it was a nod to not only the fact that you hire, like, obviously, independent artists on different places of the world, but also a nod to COVID. So yeah, how was a lot, a lot of different things. Like, yeah. I mean, we yeah. feel like the past three years have been pretty rough on artists. Yeah. Um, the the animation industry has been uh, pretty pretty poorly treated lately. We feel like a lot mm -hmm. of people have been seeing their favorite shows get pulled off of streaming networks. A lot and, of my and colleagues away in vaults. the industry really stuck their necks out to keep a lot of businesses alive during COVID, and and in return, they've lost their jobs. Yeah. yeah, it's like, all right, uh, you know, goodbye. And it's like, none of that, none of yeah. that anything. And there's just like a really sour taste in people's mouths because uh, for a lot of folks, they actually remember something similar happening back in uh, uh, the recession. 2008. Like in 2008. Yeah. Like, I remember getting out of college in 2010 and how that landscape was. So it felt like a repeat of that. But at the same time, like, there's a lot of like, not, a, not again, you know, uh, yes. the, uh, the effort to like bind together and support each other is becoming louder and louder. And I feel like the, the more we lean into that, the better chances we have to survive in general, because none of us want to see, you know, cartoons just go away because some company decides, 
uh, whatever, you know, they just, like toss out a bunch of film reels that are like, you know, you know, part of cultural history because, you know, their bottom line says like, it'd be a great tax write off if, you know, we just got rid of it. So, yes. um, yeah, you know, we, we, we respect what we do tremendously and we want to preserve those things. Um, and, uh, however way that we can manage to do that, uh, as well as like our general careers, but it's like, it goes beyond that. Cause nobody, nobody I know gets into cartoons just because, that sounds like fun, you know, it's it's too demanding a job uh, for people who are anything less than like very, very dedicated, very, very into cartoons uh, and, and care deeply about the medium and everything it involves because it is uh, there's easier ways to make a buck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and it, it's just been a very eventful uh, three years. We uh, yeah, for, for animation people, for a lot of the, the people who on crew were uh, in school at the time, or were going to, you know, school for animation and uh, climbed onto the project as kind of their first thing and then found like their school situation up, you know, in, in total upheaval and disarray because they, they couldn't live on campus as they had planned and all these different things were happening and, and just making life all the more stressful. Uh, people lost relatives to COVID and, and mm-hmm. had to go grieve and mourn for that. And people caught COVID and had to recover for, you know, months at a time. Um, I'm like, dude, you put your work down right now and you get better. Like, there's no yeah. sense working while sick. It's It doesn't make the work any better. And I would prefer you not kill yourself. Yeah, we just, we, like yeah, a, that's... A tune about rum running cats. You know, given, no, given the situation, we just yeah. had to be as flexible as possible and be just like, you know, just go get better and, and, and take the time you need because, you know, somebody's struggling and suffering. You can't be like, oh, well, no, this animation is more important than that. You got to focus on that. So we did There's give a, a lot of leeway. Of any, any energy that people can give you. There's a limited amount of it. And when yeah, you absolutely. try to squeeze, you know, blood from a stone, you're not going to get more out of people by like making them more stressed out or upset or anxious. All that does is reduce their energy and yeah. their enthusiasm for what they're working on. So you have to work with people like as best you can mm-hmm. because and like earn their respect and like, you know, they need to like believe in what they're doing and believe that they're supported. Um, and you have to sincerely like give that to them. Yeah. You know, I feel like that, like a lot in a lot of a lot of yeah. corners of, of every industry, mm-hmm. creative industry, like there's a lot of uh, humanity lacking and we just didn't want to be another one of those yeah uh, sort of situations we didn't want to be part of the problem so yeah. um it's like I so we just had to production was like you know perfect or anything no. like, there's lots i learned on the job but like i'm hoping to carry that forward if you know uh as we do more that we can like learn from uh everything that we all of our experiences over the past three years and talking with our crew about like what their needs are in the future and just making all this like something sustainable so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But yeah, the, there, the oh sorry, go ahead. <laughs> sorry, I just wanted to say, but was there any kind of benefit to doing the pilot mid COVID? Um, I wish it didn't probably. happen. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it, it actually. Some people had nothing better to do, but yeah, I, mean, I, I suppose they it, had something the benefit. Better to do. I mean, yeah. personally, it was a benefit because, I mean, well, if COVID was going to happen anyway, but it was beneficial to me, I felt, because I had this refuge in, in the work server. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like this place that where we could go and focus on something else and, mm-hmm. and get our minds off of the, the tumultuous political nonsense in the news and things like that. All the NFT nonsense that was going on where we were seeing, seeing a lot of our artwork get stolen and minted as yeah. NFTs without our permission. 
all of the AI nonsense that was happening where, where like platforms like DeviantArt and ArtStation kind of like pulled the rug out from under us and were like, surprise, we've taken your art and we've included it in, you know, this thing. And now yeah, we're going to help, right. help advertise our platform with your stolen stuff that we didn't ask for. It's like, yeah. thanks. Um, so, yeah, it's been kind of rough, but it, it's been like nice to have that oasis full of other artists to go and commiserate with while we're working. Um, you know, we can sit there and do our thing and chat with each other and, and kind of be, you know, um, uh, empathetic with each other and that, yeah. that helped a lot. So there's many a time where it was midnight lack of therapy as people were like just so overwhelmed from the world that are just like, I just got to talk to somebody. So like you, you have to develop those skills essentially and like, right. And, and but, try to like guide people through that the best you can and, and let them know it's like you are capable of, of surviving that and like in doing better and things can get better even if it's yeah. really, really dark. So yeah uh but um mm -hmm. uh other than that no it was i think covid probably slowed us down a bit uh yeah. and uh yeah <laughs> and, and even no COVID even and not all that yeah. even <laughs> in like uh, um yeah dur during the course yeah. of production we were uh doing additional things to do additional crowdfunding along the way because as you may know, making animation is expensive and um you know if uh although we had we had raised three hundred thirty thousand dollars on kickstarter the actual payout you get is less than that because kickstarter takes its cut and strike fees and everything like that um and taxes <laughs> and so taxes. we we had to keep making yeah. uh merchandise and things like we did uh, film posters and we did shot glasses and things like that along the way pins um to keep uh cash flow coming in so that we could continue paying crew and everything and make sure everybody you know was getting paid properly um and that was also pretty difficult because supply chain issues and things like that were also a big mess uh, because of covid so you'd yeah, have something manufactured with, yeah you get we it you get it shipped to you. people who are just like you know everybody having to collectively kind of deal with just the world upending itself and, and all the usual ways of going about stuff and us having to all together just shrug and go we'll just keep going and we'll keep moving forward as best we can um, and just taking like uh, just being incredibly flexible to find like solutions to problems best we can yeah. and just jump around. Yeah, because you, you we did just like run into a wall with pretty much, you know, everything like manufacturers being. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, it was yeah. like parkour, basically. Um, so but yeah, like manufacturers were were um, backed up because they had gone into lockdown so many times and they'd have like, you know, a, backlog of things they had to catch up with before they could get to your thing and then you'd finally get a shipping container available to ship things over to you and it would take you know three or four weeks longer to get to you um than normal and then it would sit in in the port at long beach for months at a time because there was no one to unload it and no trucks to drive it to where it needed to get inland um so yeah it was a big um logistical mess getting anything done over the course of yeah. the pandemic so yeah, we're looking so forward to, to our audience and their patience with yeah. us we were like we're we're in the same boat yeah. as everybody else and we're Whoa. trying to, we're working on everything like 24 7 basically to to get it out into people's hands like in a timely way in a way that doesn't like make other people break down in the process like um but yeah it was it was it was very difficult definitely would have been better without COVID. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, you still managed to go through with the production and you still managed to, at the end, give the end result, which was the pilot. So I'm going to ask a question, which probably all, almost 7 million people have in their minds. Uh, what's the future of Like a Daisy as an animation production? 
Uh, well, we're we're pretty determined to make more of it, so mm. we are exploring those those options right now. Um, you know, we've we've had some interest come our way. We we aren't quite settled on which direction we're going to to go yet. That that often takes time and and lawyers and and lots of negotiations. And mm. in the end, I don't know uh, if any of those things will will pan out or if we may just um, continue making it uh, ourselves in a smaller way. But mm -hmm. one way or another, we're going to move forward with it. So yeah, um, we don't want to lose this crew. Like they work super hard. We enjoy working together. We would like to make more. Um, and it's been an enjoyable experience. And definitely the it's like during the worst time of my life. It's also been the best time of my life. Uh, and I just uh, you know our our crew is incredible, and I want to give them more. I absolutely want to give them more. Yeah, we want to give yeah, them more like, work to do. We want to give the people who have supported this thing throughout the entire thing, the Kickstarter backers uh, who helped make the pilot, the Patreon supporters, the readers and viewers who've just done the, the yeah. word of mouth promotion that we really needed, the indie projects live or die by. Yeah, um, we, we made this we pilot want... to shake some trees, basically, and it, it turned into like a bulldozer going through a forest. So, you know, yeah, so we we'll want to what, what nuts fall now. <laughs> Yeah, not only are we like, uh, you know, ready to make more ourselves just out of creative ambition, but uh, and, and fulfillment, you know, but because we owe it, we feel like we owe it to a lot of people to, to keep doing it. So, yeah. Thank you to Mel Sionko for chatting with Tracy Butler and Fable Siegel, the pair behind the enormously successful Lacquered Daisy. And if somehow you haven't seen it yet, well, you might want to check it out. It is, of course, online on YouTube, and there'll be a link in the article accompanying this podcast. And if you want to see more of the creator's work, Tracy Butler is at LackadaisyCats on Twitter and Instagram. The Lackadaisy website is lackadaisy.com, and there's also a Patreon, patreon.com slash lackadaisy. Fable Siegel's website is fablepaint.com, also on Twitter, Instagram, and DeviantArt at fablepaint. And you can find Mel Sionko on Twitter at M-A-C-I-O-N-C-O. M -A -C -I -O -N -C -O. While you're following, folks, why not follow us? You can stay up to speed with all things Squiggly on Twitter at Squiggly, at Squiggly Animation on Instagram, and Facebook.com slash Squiggly Magazine. The website, of course, is Squiggly.com, and that's S-K-W-I-G-L-Y. I still feel like I have to spell it out from time to time, because let's be honest, any normal person would hear the word Squiggly and think to spell it how the actual word is spelled. But we like to make it a challenge. That's what makes us so neat. Before I sign off, just to let all you indie animation fans out there know that the brand new second edition of the Squiggly book, Independent Animation, Developing, Producing, and Distributing Your Animated Films, is available now. As with the first edition, it explores a comprehensive array of classic and contemporary case studies covering all aspects of production and all manner of production methods, from traditional pipelines to avant-garde, auteur, and experimental approaches, with exclusive insight into the working processes of some of the industry most noteworthy indie animation talents, including Signa Bauman, Adam Elliott, Don Hertzfeld, Kirsten Lepore, Robert Morgan, David O'Reilly, Pez, Bill Plimpton, Rostow, Chris Shepard, Joseph Wallace, and dozens more, as well as curational perspectives from the folks behind some of the biggest animation festivals, events, and distribution platforms out there. You can grab it from all good booksellers, but if you order direct from the publisher Routledge.com, you get free shipping, plus... Until the end of April, it's 20% off. Not too shabby. So thank you again to Tracy, Fable, and Mel for a fantastic chat. And all the best for the future of Lackadaisy. I've been Ben Mitchell, and until next time, happy independent animating. <laughs>